Hello and welcome to the Wizards of Drivel podcast, greatest game series where we talk about our guests' favourite ever Stoke City game. My guest this week is Mr Tom Thrower. How are you, Tom? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. Just keeping myself safe. Good, good, as we should be. And it is uh, it's sort of nice in a way to have a little break from the football because... As I was saying to Ben in our episode on the Liverpool 6-1, it's a nice opportunity to reflect on those great, great Stoke games and give them the hours worth of chat they are surely due. And to be honest, this one could be a struggle to limit to an hour. This one could run and run because, uh, Tom, you've got an absolute classic for us. Tom, what game have you gone for? Uh, I've gone for the 4-3 win away at Everton. Um, I think just to, it had to be an away game because I think the most enjoyable games are away games when you win. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So this is Monday the 28th of December 2015. This is the what I like to call the Stoke Alona Christmas where uh, <laughs> we saw peak uh, BMX, uh, the Bojan, Shakiri, Arnautovic, combination we saw some scintillating football in this game we probably didn't see the best defending but it uh, turned into an absolute cracker so uh tom you talked about uh away games being the best uh what what do you remember sort of uh of going to goodison park because it's it's not the best ground to to visit as an away fan i find but it's uh it's sort of nice in a way to, to visit a proper old stadium like that. Yeah, and I think Liverpool as well is a great city for, um, well, for just for anything. It's a fabulous place, but also I think that's me introducing a bit of romanticism into it because I hadn't really been to Liverpool that much prior to this game and all we did was rock a pin at Weatherspoons, drink a lot at Weatherspoons and then and then actually go to the ground. Um but afterwards, I don't know. Yeah, it's a very good place to watch football. Um, Goodison, uh, yeah, all I can remember is really shit, narrow uh, seats that were painful on your shins and scoring four goals made them increasingly painful on your shins, mm. especially as uh, uh, sort of the celebrations went up and up and up. It Probably with each goal, I think it, it was um, trying to think of something to describe it, but I can't really. Uh, so uh, Everton at this point well at this point in the season in general um, had we had the brilliance against Man City yet this was the fantastic December where we beat we beat City we beat United uh, which United on Boxing Day was the game directly before this um, and we were just playing very very good football Mm. and I fully expect that Man City 2-0 in particular to to crop up on people's uh, greatest game shouts uh, in terms of league performance because uh, that was uh, something else in terms of the quality of opposition we were playing and the sort of the way we beat them as well was something I'd never seen ever from a Stoke side to beat them that sort of scintillatingly. But we go away to uh, Goodison Park um, off the back of that on a bit of a crest of a wave um, what was the Boxing Day game? Was that Man United? That was, yeah, that was a United win. Yeah, okay. And so we go into this on a bit of a high. Uh, we're starting to look good. Um, our team is Jack Butland, Eric Peters, Philip Walshide, 
Ryan Shawcross, Glenn Johnson, uh, Glenn Whelan, Ibrahim Afalai, and Jeff Cameron is the midfield, and the front three is Bojan, Jordan Shakiri, and Marko Natovic. You're hard pushed to find a better Stoke eleven. People will talk about Walshide um, being perhaps a bit of a weak link in there. Um, Everton. I'm more than happy to defend uh, Philip Walshide. Go ahead. I think. Well, this season, and it actually surprised me looking across at it. He was like our third most minutes played out of everyone. Wow. Um, and whilst this season did tail off dramatically, which I will get to, because I think you can't really talk about this game without um, putting it in the context of everything that happened that season. Um, Walshide had been sort of pivotal. Um, We had a really shaky start while Shawcross was out, but then when Shawcross came back in, him and uh, Walshide formed a good partnership. And actually watching the game back, um, I think... Stoke are doing a full rerun of this game on Wednesday night. So mm. um, I'd encourage anyone to just watch watch Wolshide against Lukaku. Um, he, whilst Lukaku did manage to score twice, I think Wolshide did a very solid, dependable job on him. Um, and probably this is one of his better performances in a Stoke shirt. Yeah, we conceded three goals and all that. But if you just watch Wolshide's individual fights with Lukaku, who... Yeah, okay, he had a shaky time at United, but at this time in the in, in the Premier League was one of the hottest properties going. Certainly the hottest property outside of sort of the recognised big clubs, and it was um, just a matter of when he'd get one of those big moves up. Um, so for Walshire to do that against such a good striker, I think history hasn't been very kind on Walshire, and he's not necessarily been scapegoated, but a lot of his good has been washed away by some of the other stuff mm. that we saw. I think it's also a consequence of how Stoke's season sort of ended from that point. So um, we have this Everton 4-3 um, in, at the end of December. We lose away at West Brom in, uh, in the new year. We beat Norwich at home quite comfortably. And then we sort of uh, have three games off, three games on. So we lose 3-0 uh, in three consecutive games at Leicester, Man United and Everton. We recover a bit with wins against Bournemouth. Uh, that was a, a cracking 3-1 win away from home. Uh, beat Aston Villa at home and Newcastle at home. And then we sort of peter about a bit and then we start to have that run of conceding four in a game, admittedly against Liverpool, Tottenham and Manchester City. But that is sort of, you can start to pinpoint maybe the the wheels coming off for Hughes at, at that point. Um I think, yeah, there was definitely that that West Brom game combined with the home leg of the uh, semi-final, mm. which I think we got we we got pulist and then we got clopped. We got um, sat back against shit housed um, and then played a, a full a Jurgen Klopp team that was sort of starting to go through the motions of understanding Gagan pressing and it it seemed to really rock Hughes. It seemed to force him to sort of press this panic button. Um, which really means that this 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 win against Everton was like the last time we saw Stoke Alona in full flow um, yeah. before it got jettisoned yeah. for a bit more of a, a traditional four three three, which was a bit flat and a bit sluggish at times. Yeah, um, there's a lot to be said for that uh, semi final defeat and the sort of maybe psychological consequences more than the tactical consequences. But yeah, just. Well, it needn't have been that because it was such a heroic performance away at Anfield um, that it was. It should have been a case of 
we need to take away how good we were, how toe to toe we we got against Liverpool as a as a real benefit. But it it seemed to really really uh, deflate us for the rest of the season because um, that League Cup run was was great fun. Uh, there was a penalty uh, win at, at Luton, uh, winning against Fulham. Um, a penalty win against Chelsea in that uh, with Jack Butland actually saving a penalty <laughs> and then uh, quite comfortable winning against Sheffield Wednesday to take us to the semi-final and yeah I, it's almost I think the the home leg should be regretted more than the away leg uh, mm. almost but uh, yes but uh, it, it ends with a 2-1 win at home to West Ham who ended up finishing seventh this season this season was the one where in which Leicester City won the title and we finished, uh, thanks to that uh, last day win, ninth place again, above Chelsea in 10th and nine points behind Liverpool. So we're not as close to the European places as we had been the previous season due to that sort of ropey uh, form in the latter half of the season. But um, nonetheless, on paper, a solid season, um, maybe, but maybe you could argue disappointing given that quality of squad we had yeah and and what we actually got I think I'd almost be prepared to push the boat out and say even now even in the current times of squad building and that you could really do some really good work I don't never mind this being the best Stoke squad we've had this is probably the best Stoke squad we ever could have and it's very unlikely you'll be able to build a squad full of Champions League winners Mm. um, Premier League winners people full internationals it was just a a spectacular team even with I think um, on the podcast with Ben talking about Begovic I think over a over a sustained period of time I'd agree with the points that were made about him probably being Stoke's best keeper but Butland this season prior to um, his injury he was he was looking like he was going to end up being England's number one. Um, mm. He was just unbelievable. Some of the some of the performances he'd put in um, were spectacular. And again, uh, this confidence thing, which I think still has its roots, is in that that semi final defeat and still affects the squad now. You watch Butland's distribution in this game, um, and he's constantly just playing the ball over the top of uh, the attacking line to fullbacks which is something even now I, I doubt his ability to do anymore. Um, yeah. And this is sort of the first season he's broken through, isn't it? Because did he come in? He came in a bit at the end of the previous season. Yeah. But this is his first season as the number one. Um, Begovic had left, hadn't he? He'd gone to Chelsea. Um, and yeah. Um, and I think we started really sluggishly this season. Um, I don't think we got our first win until the 26th of September. So we went six games without a win to start the season. Mm. That happened quite a bit under Hughes from memory that we we took a while to get that first win or took a while to get going. Yeah, that was sort of, and I think that's been the case with a lot of his teams. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know if there's anything to that or if think, it's just one of those things that happened. I think I've I've heard it touted about that perhaps in comparison with Pulis, Pulis who was so hot on uh, fitness and having a full proper pre-season under your belt, uh, whereas Hughes was maybe a bit more lax in that regard. So they they weren't really at 100% uh, capacity in that first game. And it took the, the, the getting games under their belt for them to be uh, in full flow, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, I think and I think that's something that watching the game back, you can really tell um, because there's times where players don't put in the full 
sprint and it, it obviously they've played a lot of games it's the end of the christmas period so you can't really expect everyone to be firing at full fitness but i think it's something that really did hamstring us in the second half of the season um more so than than in the first half was that we were just unfit and we were getting we're getting to that stage now you've got pochettino's tottenham um kicking into gear uh, you've got Klopp at Liverpool. You get into this. This is the early stages of high pressing football in the uh, in England, and mm. Stoke just didn't seem to have the fitness to be able to keep up with it. But from that first win on the twenty sixth of September um, to this game to the end of this game, there was only one team who'd got more points than Stoke in that run. Um, Arsenal had got twenty nine, mm. and then us, us Tottenham uh, and Leicester had all got twenty six points. So uh, to to go from that to not to not yeah. push on and finish in Europe was well, really bad. Really. Yeah, and this is what uh, we mean when we disparage the Bojan wasn't the same after his injury argument because that had happened the previous season and there was a spell this season when Bojan had come back in which he was utterly breathtaking and uh, particularly this this game in particular he is he is something else. Um, uh, on Everton, our opponents in this game, they uh, had had what I would describe as a very Roberto Martinez season. Um, they finished 11th, so four points behind us. They got to the semi-finals of both cup competitions, and uh, and you know had you know they had the moments. And Romelu Lukaku was playing up front for them. They had a good squad, not a, you know scintillating, but. Uh, Lukaku was clearly that that figurehead. Uh, scored uh, eighteen goals in the league that season. Um, but Roberto Martinez uh, had a really stinking second half of the season, and he was sacked before their final game, where David Unsworth took over. So this was uh, kind of Martinez's uh, last roll of the dice. They bought in Delafeo and Funes Mori for nine and a half million. A classic. Perhaps not good enough, Roberto uh, Martinez defender. Umar Nias, 13.5 mil. So he'd kind of um, played all his chips and it was quite clear that he wasn't the calibre of manager Everton had necessarily expected him to be, despite the fact he won the cup with Wigan. So their team that day is uh, Tim Howard in goal, backline of Galloway, Funes Mori, Stones and Coleman. Uh, they've got Barry and McCarthy holding midfielders. Uh, they've got Delafeu, Kone, Barkley behind Romelu Lukaku. Um, so let's go into the game then. Uh, it's an absolute, it's a, what I call a proper 4-3 this, because you get some 4-3s where your team goes 4-0 up and maybe they're pegged back or something else. This is proper ding-dong a boxing match slugfest of a 4-3 and it starts with what I think is probably one of the most underrated goals from us ever <laughs> it's beautiful it's pure false nine football so you have Bojan dropping away from that front roll um, and taking John Stones on an adventure I think that's something else that I watched if there's if there's two clash, clashes for everyone to pay attention to when watching this match back it's Wolshide versus Lukaku and Bojan taking John Stones all over the shop I mean it's, at times it's like he's holding his hand and dragging him away from being a centre defender so Bojan drops off to the left hand side of the pitch and Stones comes comes trundling after him and Bojan just takes a touch frees up the space and rolls Arnautovic in behind, which is clearly what uh, what the false nine happened. I, I don't know if it was intentional because I 
And I think if you watch the Hughes masterclass on the 6-1, I am really reluctant to call Mark Hughes a tactician in any way, shape or form. Um, he doesn't seem to have any massive overarching ideas, but balls in behind to Arnautovic um, into the space to vacate uh, that Bojan had vacated. And he goes in and he's running and he slides it across to Shakiri for his first goal for Stoke, um, which was... Again, I think there's so much. This is such a rich game for narrative. Shakiri had been getting into the team and he now was an established member of the squad, but was risking getting to that stage of people turning on him because he was still our record signing. Um, he hadn't really started giving us goals and assists yet. He hadn't scored I, at all. It, no, was yeah. His first goal. And, he, and it, was, it was at the stage where he probably was contributing in some way or fashion. Um but yeah, needed that that end product, and he and he tucked it away, and it was it was just off to a great start. Yeah, it it is a sublime goal. The the sort of the the way it sort of flows across the the three of them before being stuck in. It's it's sort of, almost sort of like um, Onartovic is just there to guide it. He's just um, he's just like uh, shepherding it to where it needs to be. But it, the, it's. It's a communist goal. It's, <laughs> it, it's all about the whole. There's no, there's no individual in this goal. I mean, yeah, maybe Bojan. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a team goal. Truly, truly yeah. a team goal. Uh, and it, it starts from from way back in the pitch with uh, Shawcross and uh, uh, I think Afalai and Whelan just getting involved and just spraying the ball about nicely. And it's, it's really. Good football. It's just we you forget how good we were sometimes. You you remember the the highlights. You remember the goals. Uh, in terms of you remember the ball hitting the back of the net, but you forget about the build ups and how exciting we could be. And um, guys like Whelan and Jeff Cameron getting involved in things like that. Um, and how how much they raised their game in the sort of early Hughes years as well was uh, really striking. But that's just the first goal of seven uh, to talk about. Um, Everton equalised quite soon after. And it's Romelu Lukaku, who I think generally was quite good against us. But, uh, I mean, he was quite good against a lot of teams, to be fair, Romelu Lukaku. Um, plays the offside well? Suspicions of offside, maybe? Eric, Eric Peters very much plays him onside. Um, and this is, again, another rich element of this team and this game. I, I don't know if Peters has had his new contract yet, but you've got this 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 fabled moment in Eric Peters' Stoke career where he goes from being the most dependable defensive left-back in the Premier League, and I don't think anyone can really argue with that. Yeah, OK, his end product was never uh, that amazing for Stoke, but... He was a fantastic um, workman and you could always rely on him. And then it almost, I don't know if this is just, we we're, we're na- we naturally read patterns into things, but he gets this big new contract and suddenly everything starts going wrong. And I don't mm. know, I can't remember exactly where it, it fits in on that. That uh, was scale. a thing with Peters. That was a, a thing everyone did did say about him. And, and you can argue... You can argue it's true. It, it might be an entirely coincidental, unrelated mm. thing, but it did seem that after that, uh, getting that contract, that he did um, sort of fall away in terms of form and he, he looked a, a lot more lost than he had done uh, because, like you say, he had been such a dependable figure uh, for us in that time. So Lukaku uh, is easily tucking that one away. Um, and then... 
<laughs> Stroke of half time. Um, I mean, how how do you even? Just, <laughs> the, the first thing to say is watch the pass from Bojan because again, the build up is forgotten and no surprise with this bloody finish. But Bojan has again dropped off to the left hand side of the pitch. He's in his own half and then has taken one touch, looked up and sprayed the most unbelievably beautifully weighted ball in behind um, for Shakiri to shuffle onto and cross it into the back of the net. <laughs> <laughs> it's not It's not the kind of ball you expect from Bojan almost. It, um, I think in Charlie Adams' head, that's the kind of ball Charlie Adam plays all the time, you know, the, the sort of the weighted long pass over the, over the shoulder of the defender. Um, I associate Bojan with more sort of... A, in 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 a mic, in a crowd of bodies doing like a, a five yard slip through ball or something yeah. like that, but it's a it's a it's an absolute pinger from Bojan uh, to find Shakiri and yes he well <laughs> I can I could sort of see I could sort of see why some people said it was a cross because it's ridiculous because it almost has <laughs> to be a cross because he plays for Stoke City so how dare he <laughs> attempt to claim that as a goal. However, you look at the the fact that the next attacking player was sort of five yards behind him. Every, like I know Shakiri was a bit of a maverick, but even then, if he was trying to pass it, he wouldn't do it first time on the hoof, would he? Yeah, well, yeah, and and please tell me a time when Jordan Shakiri has miscontrolled or misplayed a pass so dramatically. I think the the, the, yeah. the presumption that. A, it just doesn't make sense, does it? Arnautovic is way too far behind him to be crossing it. He's in way, the ball's moving away from him. He'd have to be playing it almost back away, directly where it's come from to get it to Arnautovic. Um, so he's, he's, and the, the spin on the ball's too perfect. You watch the slow replays and the ball's spinning in a very non-accidental way, I feel. Mm. Sometimes you can picture a ball, you can see it's being hit wrong by the way it's sort of, not rotating beautifully, whereas this yeah. is just spinning delightfully on its oh, on its. I've just watched it. it. Oh god! Uh, you know what <laughs> is the? It's a beautiful uh, knee slide celebration. The way it dips into the net and Howard just stood there is is marvelous. What is the best bit about watching this goal back on the replay? Uh, the noise. Yes. The the the, the two celebrations. The. The, the 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 people who were either not not too pissed or had a better view or whatever who actually saw that it was scored, and then you have the breath being taken out from it, the entirety of the nearly forty thousand people in Goodison Park to a silence, and then you have the Stoke end realizing that it's gone in fully, and it's mm. just this most beautiful cacophony of just unbridled joy. It's. It's exquisite and just like the the picture of Shaq in that grit, that beautiful away kit, the uh, black with the green sash. I love that away kit and him just just as sort of Russell Crowe's gladiator, just sort of stood there and sort of are you not entertained style was just marvelous. I just it's ridiculous the way he sort of wraps his foot around that and gets that sort of backspin on it. Oh my God, it's oh we were just good, weren't we? Bloody hell! Um, <laughs> so that's how it goes in half time. We go in at half time two one up. Um, 
And then things start to go a bit wrong. Now, where I was when this game was happening, I was uh, working at a pub in London, but my shift started roughly at about half past four. So I was um, waiting for uh, the game to finish before dashing over to the pub and starting my shift. Um, So I was in another pub watching uh, the scores come through and... I go, oh, yes, Shakiri's got his first goal. Oh, yes, 2-1 up at half-time. Fantastic. Then things just start to unravel. And I leave in a bit of a huff before um, realising that actually we've equalised. And then I'm frantically searching my phone, like uh, refreshing Twitter just outside the door of this pub. I, you know, I'm already one minute late from a shift. And then I, I remember seeing penalty stoke in that massive capital letters a Sidaway classic penalty stoke and just walking round in circles, just being like, Oh my God. 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 But we'll get to that bit. We have a bit of a, we have a bit of a wobble to get to before that. Uh, Romelu Lukaku. Uh, uh, the, there's something, there's something that happens before Lukaku scores his second, which at the time, I don't think any Stoke fan would have seen as anything out of the ordinary. But you look back on this season again, and uh, this is why I've picked it as my favourite game, because there is so much richness. On the 63rd minute, Bojan Krikic is subbed off for Yossalu. Mm. Now, that seems a totally normal normal thing to do, to bring off off your diminutive striker, to put on a bigger man, to go a bit, to sit a bit deeper and, and to play it longer to him. But within a minute... Lukaku scored his second and within eight minutes Stoke have gone from being 2-1 up to losing 3-2 and I think that's something that throughout this season this game and the whole false nine period um, came on the back of I think 16 starts in a row Bojan had he didn't always finish the game but he had 16 Mm. starts in a row Um, and then in the second half of the season you look and he's the longest run of starts he gets is three games. He's normally on the bench. He's in and out the squad. He's moved around a lot. And it's not due to injury because he's always on the bench. He's always a member of the squad. It just seemed to be that one of the the, the symbolic um, the symbolic proof of Hughes's turn away from this false nine, this idea of passing football to a more secure and defensive system, which actually saw us concede more goals. And I think this, it feels... It feels weird watching the game back. You think mm. Bojan doesn't look tired. Stoke don't look like they need to sit back. Nothing's going wrong. It's not like it's not like this sub comes at the end of a, a period of Everton dominance. It just seems that this is a change that's made because, I, I don't know if you want if fresh legs on or, or whatever, but immediately Stoke wobble. And we, it, it seemed to be we missed that presence of Bojan dropping into the middle to control possession. So this idea that we're going more secure by taking off the more adventurous players is a bit of a false dichotomy it's 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 actually by taking Bojan out you're making us less in control of the ball and therefore we aren't secure because we can't keep the damn ball yeah I I think it also sort of maybe encapsulates uh, Hughes's best and worst qualities as a manager I think he's he's at his best in recognizing talent and being able to find that out, uh, not only in sort of bringing players you could um, you could easily turn your nose up at to Stoke. So someone like Marko Anatovic, for example, there would perhaps be question marks in a Tony Pulis transfer meeting anyway. They'd say, look at his attitude, I don't want him here. Um, 
but I suppose Pulis brought in people like Pennant and stuff. But um, he he can bring quality to that sort of mid-table club. He can attract players who perhaps should be at a higher level. So not just Shakiri and Arnautovic and Bojan for Stoke. I'm thinking like Roque Santa Cruz at Blackburn, for example, maybe. Um, finding finding talent and particularly attacking talent as well, he, he can clearly uh, suss out. But when things start to go wrong, I think he tries to act like he's a, he's a Tony Pulis deep down when he's not. Um, so I'm thinking... Well, first of all, he was very fortunate to survive on that last day against Man City with QPR. A really, um, a really sort of weird time at QPR where they had this bloated squad which had talent in it, but he decided to that the way to survive was Clint Hill, Richard Dunn, you know, Joey Barton figures all the way through. But you know, maybe if he'd have played. I don't know, a delta wrapped in a few more games, they wouldn't have been in that position. Just kind of regressing, trying to pin everything on quote unquote characters um, and and forgetting what made him successful in the first place, which is how good he can, um, how good, uh, what am I talking about? Players, how good players can sort of shape uh, your team's identity attacking wise. So it's, um, it is a, a real shame. And you, then another thing about Bojan that, that people always bring up is the sort of, well, ex-managers didn't want him, um, which I feel, I feel is a bit false, really. But um, I think that that sort of huge decision, that initial bombing out of Bojan, really sort of turned a lot of people at the club against him, maybe. Maybe there was a perception in the backroom staff or the boardroom that Bojan wasn't cut out for it anymore. Yeah, I don't know. And I think, it, it, it again, to get to Hughes and how he treated players, it seemed to be a shift away. And I think you see it with um, Imbula as well. And I'm not going to get into that because I've got into that enough. Hmm. Um, but there seems to be the shift away from the... Uh, arm round the shoulder, oh, you're my mate, I love you, I know how good you are, I'm going to make sure that you, you reach the top of your performance to this hard-ass Roy Keane, you aren't delivering the goods, get the fuck out of my squad and don't think about trying to get back in until until we've mystically started winning again. Um, and I think that is something that you saw, so it was like, a, I don't know, if we'd have lost the game previously to this to, to the to the shift into the second half into 2016 you I felt that when you when you listen to Hughes there was kind of an idea about a bigger picture there's a we're still trying to learn to do the stuff that we're trying to do here and I'm supporting these players these are my players these are the people I've picked and it seemed to seem to I don't know whether or not two and a half seasons is probably Hughes went yeah you know what they, they, they shouldn't be allowed the time anymore they should all get it they should know what's going on and that shift came in. Um, and I think, yeah, I think the coaches are supportive and the, the, the backroom staff of the club are always supportive of the managers. And that is obviously a good thing in a sense of you have a, a unified force. But under Hughes, we saw how not having the ability to step back and look at yourselves critically and look at what's going on actually can make that quite a dangerous thing because you almost go into a mob mentality of well it's us versus them and and then if they're 
questioning our authority or seen to be. And again, that, that Bojan is such a pivotal figure for that, not just with Hughes, but also with people like Rowett, people like Jones, that he's so adored by certain parts of the fan base that that adoration can be looked at as sort of a, a critical thing rather than yeah. just acknowledging that we all think this lovely, beautiful Catalonian uh, is, is exactly that and we want to see him play football. It's taken as an idea of, well, we think we know better than you and therefore you're doing something wrong. Yeah, and you, you get sort of p- people like Rowett using fans' favourite almost dismissively, don't you? And that's sort of a maybe... I, th- I think it's just an attitude some people have within football of um, either they they don't like players having too much power or having too much of a uh, too much adoration from from fans or or something like that. But we'll we'll go back to the game because I don't want to talk about uh, Bojan leaving because I'll get upset. Um, so Lukaku equalizes and it's a it's a floated ball over the top. Uh, I think he steps away from Walshide, but Peters is also uh, running back a bit helplessly as well. It's um sort of classic Lukaku goal, just brings it down beautifully, slots it home. And then uh, Everton are level after about... 64 minutes? minutes. 64 minutes, thank you very much, Tom. So 64 minutes, uh, and shortly after Bojan was subbed off, uh, Everton have... Uh, equalised and then um, in a sort of similar-ish goal to our first although not as beautiful uh, Dilafeu has made it 3-2 to Everton with 20 minutes to go and um, this is a bit of a shit show defensively it starts with sort of a a bit of a poorly timed challenge from I think Van Ginkel looking at the uh, replay So, uh, but the ball breaks uh, to Everton and they uh, flash it across the face of goal and Delefeu is in there for a tap in and uh, quite easy to uh, to think of this as a classic Stoke City fuck up at this point <laughs> before we were really uh, I say we uh, fans who their predominant experience of Stoke was uh, promotion and the Premier League that we weren't even used to but are now so well versed in the idea mm. of Stoke have the ability to uh, shoot themselves in the foot and the face at the best times. Um, and But again, I think because we were so unused to that, there wasn't the turn, the the, the Sunderland boo, let's call it. Yeah. Um, the, the, there was an idea of, oh, come on, lads, let's not let this slip. We've still got... We've still got 20, 25 minutes of the game left. We've got time to sort something out here. Yeah. Um, and it's knowing you have the quality as well. Um, people, I think Mark Hughes was infuriating in terms of substitutions. And certainly at this point, you'll have been cursing the decision to take Bojan off, which I suppose at the time was sensible. But um, but at this, when the minute you go 3-2 down, you start to think, ah, oh, bloody hell, crap, yeah. Hughes substitution. Um but the game is certainly not done, and uh, it's with ten minutes to go. Stoke have equalised. It's three three. So, what would you remember about uh, the away end at that point and the general mood in that away away end when, when we made it three three? Because we had fucked up uh, two leads at that point, but um, it looked like we'd managed to claw a, a draw from it. Yeah, and the. Uh... The momentum seemed to be going Stokes' way as well. Um, 
Everton under Martinez were always horrific at defending. Mm. Um, so it seemed to sort of have worked in our favour that they had gone up and were falling backwards and trying to sit deep because they just, at the end of the day, they, they couldn't do it really. Um, and it felt like, it felt like as soon as that goal goes in, you'd say to yourself, oh, there's, there's only one team winning this game. It was only Stoke going to win this game. Um, and I think the, the manner of the goal as well was so so beautifully Stoke in the sense of that it was just absolute pandemonium in the box. And then one moment of clarity as Yossalu smacks in. I think I think it was his first goal as well as Shakiri's. Mm. It just hit such a beautiful, well-timed, really foot-like attraction engine volley into the top corner past a sort of... Uh, I think I can remember Howard being somewhat out of position and flapping yeah. at it, and um, it was a nice finish. And did I don't know if that was our first time seeing the uh, the happy cat, what, the lucky cat celebration. Oh yeah, it, I think it might have been because of the. I remember seeing it at Bournemouth, but Bournemouth was after this. Um, mm. he, he he ran he ran away to uh, the other side of Goodison Park initially, then runs back towards the Stoke fans. Um, he gives a he gives a double ear cup, and then. Uh, knee slides, but I don't. I don't. I can't see. A, I can't. A lucky, I can't see I, a lucky cat on the replay. Yeah, um, I don't know if it was there. Might but yeah, it, it is. Uh, it is an interesting goal uh, because yeah, like you say, it is pandemonium. But it starts with actually a lovely through ball from Eric Peters to Onatovic, who tries a back heel uh, to Jocelyn, and then it breaks for us again. Another swinging ball from the right. Howard uh, completely misses it, and then it's. Jocelyn, I don't, I don't get how of all the people in the box, um, no one is remotely close to him at all. Yeah, um, the, the the striker who they've just brought on to be a more physical presence has been promptly ignored by um, the international centre backs playing in Everton's team. It's brilliant. Yeah, John Stones and Funes Mori. I mean, I mean, people can go overboard about John Stones' defensive ability, but uh, you look at that back line now. Uh, Young Brendan Galloway, is it Brendan Galloway? Yeah, yeah um, his career didn't come to much. He's at Luton. I think Seamus Coleman perhaps even started to get on a bit. Not the most robust, and certainly the way Roberto Martinez's teams play, they're always going to be uh, a bit susceptible at the back. And you know, Gareth Barry was in front of them. I think he was definitely getting on in years uh, as well. So um, a bit of a shambles at the back from Everton, uh, and. Jocelyn's uh, stuck it in in the back of the net. Now, here's a question: Jocelyn, was he good? I always felt that he was a better finisher outside of the box than he was in it, because okay. he scored. Um, I think it was around this time as well. Yeah, the next the next home game was uh, against Norwich when we played them for, for with ten men for a lot of the time, and I I can remember him scoring an absolutely lovely cultured finish from just mm. at the top of the box. And Yosselu is one of those ones where I think because of the fee involved, it wasn't necessarily looked at as too much of a of a failure, but was more of the starting indicators that things weren't going right with the transfer department. Because you've brought in a striker who's who's got a good pedigree. He's ex Real Madrid. Uh, he's been playing, been playing. He was at Hanover, I think, when we yeah. signed him. And you'd think a player like that with the way that you look at uh, the Arnautoviches and the Shakiris and the way we brought those in, if we were bringing him in, we were bringing him in because we saw that he was going to be the next big thing for us. And I don't think 
he ever really got a shot at holding down um, the 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 starting role in our team. Uh, and I'm not I'm not saying that in a it was wrong to not hit, give him that because I don't think we ever really saw on the pitch that um, that that was that that was there. But he never really sort of got entrusted with the role that often. No, which well, this, seems really strange. Well, this if was you bring the, in the striker in. Yeah, this was the only season in which he actually played for us properly. Um, 22 games and four goals. Uh, so obviously not a great return from that. Um, before we uh, loaned him out to Deportivo uh, the next season, then sold him to Newcastle, uh, which was a slightly bizarre situation because you always felt like when he played for Newcastle, he would score against us for just, just you know, for <laughs> the sake of the universe. And he missed quite a few in a game. I think we played against Saint, in, uh, played at St. James's Park in our relegation season and he missed quite a few chances. Uh, but he scored four in 30 for them. So he really similar sort of record. I feel like he had his uses, had his moments, but yeah, just wasn't wasn't of sufficient quality to uh, kind of justify uh, a run of games. And certainly people would have preferred uh, Walters or uh, Juf or Crouch uh, up front uh, at this point. Um but interestingly, Peter Crouch is not even on the bench for this game. And um, he tweeted after, uh, great performance, lads. Uh, no wonder I can't get on the pitch kind of thing. Um, I think this season he, he did a, quite a few of those as well, Crouchy. He did a few sort of jokey, but also slightly having a dig uh, tweets about uh, his lack of pitch time. And he was getting frustrated. But it shows the kind of depth of squad we had with Peter Crouch isn't even getting on our bench. Uh, so it's three three, and the uh, final bit of action of the match has been described by Roberto Martinez as a big mistake from the referee. Was it a big mistake from the referee? I'm not sure it was a penalty, um, <laughs> but also I think um, it's it's a very John Stones thing to do, and I can specifically remember paying attention to him making these kind of tackles a lot around this period. Arnautovic is going nowhere, to, to, to steal a, a phrase. He's properly one of those one-on-ones. He's just running out of play. Just let him run out of play. If he gets a cross in, you're stood right next to him and it's going to hit you and go out for a corner. He's gone past you. Just let him run out. But no, John Stones decides to go flying in. He does get a tickle on the ball. But then also, if you there's an angle where you can see almost the exact angle um, Clattenburg's watching it from. Um, and... To Klattenberg, I think, when you're looking at it, it just looks like Arnautovic has rolled the ball forward and then been um, tripped over by a flying John Stones. So probably not a penalty, <laughs> um, but also has given us the single greatest moment of football ever. Yes. <laughs> because uh, Yosselu uh, hugged, hugged the ref for giving the decision. Mark Clattenburg waited an age before pointing to the spot and Jocelyn was so grateful. He just gave him a big old hug. Clattenburg, um, motionless, neither sort of laughing along with it nor sort of, what are you doing? Get off me. I'm the referee sort of situation. But, I mean, that's that's a sort of, it's a brave thing to do from Jocelyn because, well, not in the sense of maybe he gets booked or something, but... We haven't scored it yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I yeah, think I can just Marvel. remember being stood in the stands screaming at the top of my voice around the pandemonium that's going on because we've got a last minute penalty. He hugged the ref. He hugged the ref as if as if no one else had registered it, and that the only way I could cope with the idea that a player had hugged the ref because I think I don't know I don't know if things have changed with VAR and the way players talk to refs. There seems to be a less um, a divisionary line between player and ref, and it, it's more of a collective process. And the refs try and talk to players a lot more now. But at that time, it felt so bizarre that he just hugged the ref. I don't think I've ever seen it since. I don't think I'd ever seen it before. And I think I needed to um, scream at the top of my voice about it to to realise that it had happened. Yeah, it's. You wonder maybe. Nowadays, a player's going to start hugging the VAR little screen at the side of the pitch. But it was just VAR a, would have ruined that. I think that sort of it maybe would have no penalty. Yeah, it would. It would. Um, another great moment put, would have been spoiled by VAR. But yeah, that sort of cemented Hosselu as the um, the third wholesome Spanish amigo, I guess, because we already we already had Munieza and Bojan. We knew we knew how su- uh, sweet and lovely they were, but. Oh, he just he just hugged the ref. Oh, um, and then uh, Marko Natovic sort of almost threatens to fuck it up, but it's in the, <laughs> it's in the net. He falls down. It no player other than Marko Natovic, certainly for Stoke, maybe maybe in the entirety of football, could make slipping over at a penalty look so natural and like he he just he was hitting it so hard that there was no way he could stay stood. He kicked the ball with such force that it, it caused him to slip onto the ground. Um, oh man! And again, I think, if I was to say my favourite part to, to sit in a ground, it is just, just to the side of the pitch. Not because you get a better view, not because uh, you can see different parts of the game, but because if you score a goal in the goal that you're at the end of... It makes for the most beautiful mentals and just picturesque of players flooding to the corner yeah. um, away from the goal. I think I think there's something, I don't know, more beautiful about that and creates it as an image because it's the only thing you see is the, the reverses of players' shirts and fans just losing it in front mm. of them. It, it really was a picture. Yeah, I really get what you mean. Arnautovic is in his uh, top-not phase, of course, but he, he just had a weight of... You know, you you're going absolutely mental at, at that winning penalty, and he's just strutting over there casually. I think he stands up on some advertising hoardings, just gets saluted. Um, he's all being mobbed, and it's it's the conclusion of what is an insane but majestic game of football. Um, and I think you have to say Everton definitely play their part in this. And you know, on another day, could have gone four uh, three their way perhaps, but. Um, you know they've brought quality to this game as well, and they've maybe let themselves down defensively. But both teams have shown absolute quality going forward, and there's a temptation to see high-scoring games as, uh, you know, you know, from an Alan Hansen perspective, and just pick holes in the defending. But you've got to appreciate the quality going forward. Both teams brought to um, brought both teams brought to the game, uh, particularly Lukaku from a from an Everton point of view who. Um, like you say, Walsh had a good game against him, but still couldn't stop, uh, stop him scoring twice. 
Paul Merson on Soccer Saturday said there was some great football. I'm not going to do a Paul Merson voice. <laughs> it was a pleasure to watch the game. I would worry for Everton. They get on top of games but don't have that killer instinct. When it's 3-2, you think game over. You think Everton are going to win by four or maybe five. But Stoke are so dangerous on the break. They've got footballers in the team who see a pass and have great movement. They were absolutely outstanding today. Everton were as well, but they keep letting, letting in goals. Martinez plays exactly the way he did at Wigan. We're going to score more goals than you. He was letting in goals left, right and centre at Wigan and he seems to have brought that to Everton. It's great for the neutral, but if you're a home fan, you'd be pulling your hair out. Yeah, it's it's sort of classically both managers, I guess, this game. You have the, the scintillating attacking stuff from Hughes, the wobbly defensive stuff from Hughes... And likewise for Martinez. And you have Hughes substituting Bojan perhaps a bit too soon. So uh, everything's everything's in there. Um, Sky gave man of the match to uh, Bojan. BBC gave it to Shakiri for, for two goals. I mean, Bojan's done well to win man of the match after 63 minutes of football. Um, Hughes said uh, the only thing lacking up until today for Shakiri was goals. Performances had been fine, but now he has added that. He has that quality. It's his first mark in terms of goals, and I'm sure there will be more to come. It was end-to-end, and I thought both sides came out with great credit. Uh, Tom, is there anything more that needs to be said about this game? Not about this game, no. I think it is just... You almost would... I think I said, leaving the ground, that... um... They should stick that on a DVD and the Premier League should give it out to people to watch because it just was everything. And I think the the time of the year it was as well, um, being Christmas, it's just such an awesome time for, for that run of games. And it feels like the only constant in our lives in that run between Christmas Day and New Year's is is the regular football that gets smashed into your face. So again, it's a, it's a beautiful time to watch football. Um, and yeah, it's probably that last, that last bastion of God. That was brilliant. I mean, we did come, go back to Liverpool uh, in the next month and have another spectacular moment, which didn't quite pan out perfectly. Um, but yeah, that was it, without a shadow of a doubt my favourite game ever. Yeah, and absolutely right too, because a, a great game for, for a neutral, a great game for a Stoke City fan. Uh, just the, the the manner of those goals, the the drama of the game, the sort of beautiful football in there as well, and and seeing particularly that front three at the peak of their powers as well, and, and guys like uh, Afalai and Hosselu uh, have a bit of moment uh, their moments as well. So uh, marvelous, marvelous stuff, uh, Tom. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, and thanks for a little bit of light to relive in troubled times. Cheers. Uh, Stay safe, everyone. Go on, Stoke.